I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you don't fail early, you develop a terror of failure. They are hypersensitive to any slight, and the result of that is it's bred a culture of victimhood. What if we had a show about solutions? Not the same old left versus right. I am right, I'm right. and you are wrong. You're wrong. Boring. <laughs> yeah, something new. Yeah, something new. How to make the world a better place. Yeah. How, How do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Jim, before our discussion, let's talk about rating and reviewing our show. Yeah, it's really important for people not just to listen to the show, but to, to download the show and rate us. That really adds to our visibility. It helps more people discover how do we fix it. Yes, but it's not that easy. Here's, here's Miranda Schaefer, our producer, to explain a little bit about this. It's, it's not that easy, is it, Miranda? No, it's actually a lot harder than it should be. And you put together a little guide. It's on our front page. How to go through the process of downloading and, and rating the show. But if you have any questions, you can email Richard oh. any hour of the night. <laughs> he has his phone by his bed, we promise. <laughs> yeah, blue light special. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. I'm Richard Davies and our producer Miranda Schaefer in the studio with us. Step by step, colleges are being transformed into something more akin to mental health wards than citadels of learning. That is the controversial claim of our guest on today's show. So we've seen this huge upswing in protests about uh, perceived racism and diversity issues. And obviously those raise a lot of free speech issues. But are they also the symptom of some bigger problem? Are many young people overprotected, even narcissistic, demanding protection from ideas and concepts that they find too uncomfortable to listen to? This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our guest today is Hera Murano, editor-at-large of Psychology Today. She writes the magazine's advice column, Unconventional Wisdom. Her most recent book is A Nation of Wimps. And Hera's been a real pioneer in this topic, really covering these issues about what's going on on college campuses for almost 15 years. So, Harry, you say there's a mental health crisis among today's college students. There certainly is. Um, rising numbers of students are breaking down with anxiety, depression, self-mutilation, burning, cutting, binge drinking to obliterate all of their anxiety, and uh, the numbers are just rising, and they have been for the past 20 years. Now, you could say that sounds alarmist. So 
What's the evidence that it's that bad? For the longest period of time, the American College Mental Health Association have been documenting rises in all of these conditions, and they're not getting any better. And what seems to be a new wrinkle is that, yes, these kids are breaking down. Now, I'm really very careful to say they're not mentally disturbed. They're not permanently psychologically disordered. What the evidence adds up to is they completely lack coping skills. But qualitatively, what's different is that they get so distressed so readily that even the slightest disappointment pitches them into crisis mode. And and that's what we've been seeing in some of these protests. I mean, that whole thing at Yale where the students were recorded screaming at one of the professors with four-letter words. That's just bad manners. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just tell us a little bit about that. But that that was instigated when somebody sent around an email. The college sent around a note saying, there's a long list of things you shouldn't do with Halloween costumes, most of which were just kind of good manners, like don't be really offensive with your Halloween costumes. One of the professors came back and said, that's all good, and we should be careful, but isn't Halloween also the time to be a little edgy? And if you see something you don't like, why don't you have a conversation about it? This sent the campus into an uproar. Instead of just saying, wow, I don't like that professor, you know, or I disagree, they felt personally violated. And this is the kind of thing you're seeing. What you have here is a whole generation, for the most part, a whole generation of, let me make it clear, middle class and upper middle class students who have been overprotected by their parents. So they are hypersensitive to any slight. And the result of that is it's bred a culture of victimhood. And they celebrate their victimhood. How do they celebrate their victimhood? They have absolutely no qualms about declaring their need for safe spaces or telling their professors and administrators that they've overstepped their bounds. I mean, that was unthinkable in generations before. I'm, I'm going to push back on I'm going to push back on one Please thing do. and that is in terms of because you made a very important qualifier. You said that it's middle class and upper middle class students from comfortable, relatively privileged backgrounds. We are not talking, are we, about immigrant kids, working class kids, a lot of kids at community colleges that face a very different crisis, which is many of them don't complete their degree. Right. These kids, grown up in homes where perhaps their parents don't speak the language, so they've had no one to buffer them. They've had to handle things for their parents. These kids have enormous... Uh, coping skills. They're extremely resourceful. They don't expect um, to be attended to. Whereas their more privileged classmates come from a completely different background. Here's the problem. Schools cater to the privileged class. They need to be jolted out of that because what then happens is that the kids who grow up in poor schools, immigrant families, don't come to college with all the resources that the other kids do. And and the colleges the colleges make these immigrant kids feel bad because they haven't had the same fabulous preparation. So I'm going to circle back because this is a point in one of your pieces that really intrigued me was this notion that sometimes, on the one hand, you know, the privileged students come to school with 
this incredible backlog of advantages, even just the large vocabularies you get growing up in a upper middle class home compared to a, a less affluent home. But so the the less privileged kids may not have all those advantages, but they may have an emotional resilience. They do. The kids from the privileged homes, their families has sort of cleared the path for them and taken all the lumps and bumps out of life for them so they can focus on success and achieving and building portfolios. Whereas these immigrant kids haven't had those opportunities, and they've grown emotionally resilient. And it seems to me that also from a political point of view, they're really encouraged to see themselves as victims of some kind of discrimination. So people who might have gone through sort of a rough and tumble high school and and gotten through it very well, they get to college all of a sudden. It's like, no, no, heads up. Look at all the little tiny ways you're being discriminated against. Become hypersensitive to this perception. Everyone is aware because of the culture of victimhood, of their sensitivities. So what you have is people making comments that others are encouraged to declare violate their own sensitivities. And so you have this incredible battle going on. It's very unpleasant. That's part of what was going on with the Yale situation that you described. There are an awful lot of kids from privileged backgrounds, from middle-class backgrounds, from working-class backgrounds. Who are great. Who are fine. There and are. who don't suffer any of this. I mean, I, I just want to say that because I, I don't want to give the impression that every kid has got huge problems today because I was at college in the early 70s in Britain and our sexual mores compared to our parents were completely and utterly different. There was a lot of sleeping around. There was a lot of drugs, a lot of drinking, and there was a tremendous amount of angst among people of our parents' generation saying, these kids, boy, they're a mess. The drinking is different because the drinking then was done in a spirit of conviviality. Let's go out and have fun. The drinking now It's goal-directed, and the purpose is to obliterate consciousness so that it can make up for your lack of social skills. You don't have to engage in conversation, uh, and you can wipe out the anxiety that you feel. It's a very, very different kind of drinking. I went to college during the days of the 18-year-old drinking age. We drank a lot, but we drank in social settings where it was sanctioned. You know, we went to bars. Now there's pre-gaming. Pre-gaming, exactly. Pre-gaming. You drink before you drink, and you drink privately in your room. This is definitely not social. You drink hard liquor. The girls drink vodka because it has fewer calories. And you have a really dark purpose here. That's a distinct difference, and it's partly driven by attempts to eradicate alcohol consumption. You you try to suppress the problem and you drive it out of the public sphere and into the door rooms and the back seats of cars and the vodka flask instead of the glass of sherry with your professor. Oh, I don't think that I ever had a glass of sherry with my professor. I did. I did. <laughs> and, 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 and there were some pretty scary drug experiences going on. Of course, I had nothing to do with them. Let me ask you about suicide, because there was an article in New York Magazine recently that pushed back. The title was The Myth of the More Fragile Student. Well, and, wait a minute. Yep. The student is more fragile. I never talked about suicide. Suicide is not a good marker of really anything. And colleges are very 
protective against suicide. That's a really okay. important but, point. But, uh, but suicide good. suicide should not be lumped together okay. with all of the other things okay. going on. There, is there a sense that the suicides are up or, or not really? The minute because... you say depression, uninformed people... Of which I am one. <laughs> or I should say people who haven't really studied the relationship of suicide to depression. Suicide in the young has a a very impulsive quality to it, uh, where kids see a dead end. They can't see a solution. Um, So this is very different from depression leading to suicide among um, older people. So even so if there's, there's no quality. increase, so if there's even if there's no increase in suicides, it doesn't mean there isn't an increase in these other problems. Absolutely. The problem is lumping suicide together with these other disorders and considering them equivalent. They are not equivalent and should not be discussed in the same breath. So this is kind of troubling and, and worrisome discussion, uh, I think, for all of us. But you do feel there's some solutions here. The problem starts long before people get to. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. College. What should parents be doing? Well, I think there are things that parents can be doing for kids at younger ages. And the goal here is really to... Uh, equip kids with coping skills. And the only way you get coping skills is by encountering difficulties and and creating your own little solution over them. So parents have to really let kids encounter difficulties, hold their tongues, and, and stay back and not jump to support their kids or to help them. So let kids have a sense of curiosity about the world and well, let them follow their own path to let, at least some extent. I, I think parents need to do that, particularly for young kids. Um, parents need to relax a little bit and and trust that the curiosity of their children will carry them to sports or academic success. They'll be interested in things and they will be motivated by themselves to move ahead. Kids want to be successful. So parents of college students should prepare them to be off on their own, to set a very reasonable limit on the number of phone calls and and texts and emails. But between parents and college students? Between parents and the students. What about the importance of play? We had a wonderful guest uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Richard Gottlieb, who was talking about play and about 
letting kids just follow their own path in play. These are younger kids. Jim was saying that this problem begins much earlier than simply, you know, a teenager or or college kid. It's counterintuitive. Let's get that out in the open first. You want your kids to succeed, and then you say play. It's like, what? You're telling me to let my kids screw off? I mean, really, it's counterintuitive. But here's the really interesting part. Play allows children to filter the issues of the world as handed down to their generation and to work out creative solutions. And ta-da, play builds brains. So by denying children play or monitoring their play or directing their play, so much of which is done now, parents are actually working against the success of their kids. Yeah, you know, uh, the the writer Nicholas Taleb, who wrote the famous book about the black swan and why we tend not to predict big disasters, He's got a book called Anti-Fragile that really makes this point that it's like the old cliche that a bone is stronger where it's been broken. But it's true. And the experience of failure, the very thing parents are trying to save their kids from, actually uh, gives people strength. Yeah. I mean, the, the fragility issue is really a significant one in that if you don't fail early... You develop a terror of failure. Here's the thing. When you allow children or anyone to master little difficulties, they not only learn the coping skills, but something wonderful happens in their head. And they develop confidence that they can handle whatever challenges are thrown at them. Not being exposed to failure, you develop a terror of it, and what that does is it makes you extremely risk-averse and conservative. Miranda Schaefer. How did you become interested in this topic? Well, it was really very interesting. In um, early 2002, I saw a one-sentence article in the Chronicle of Higher Education uh, that talked about... uh, Students experiencing greater anxiety. Now, at the time, at Psychology Today, I was putting out a newsletter on depression. So I made the assumption, oh, this must be a phenomenon of kids all trying to worry themselves into Harvard. So I called the belly of the beast, the guy who was head of the Campus Counseling Center at Harvard, And he assured me that this was not restricted to Harvard. And I said, how do you know? And he said, I'm on a listserv of all campus counseling center directors. Went back and I asked him if he would let me ask a question of his listserv. Let's just say I got 500 responses, (laughs) and I've been dealing with them ever since. They've been my sources on many stories. That begs another solutions question. What can colleges do? They have to take upon themselves a certain amount of, let's just say, emotional education. I think there are a variety of ways they can do it. Colleges are talking about programs to instill resilience among students. Colleges are looking into ways of doing that now. And uh, the demand that we've heard from the student protesters is for more diversity training. Does that have anything to do with this at all? Well, 
It does, because what it means is having respect for other viewpoints and being able to tolerate and discuss civilly um, other viewpoints. And in a sense, that's part of not feeling so sensitive and not feeling so attacked if someone differs from your point of view. But does the diversity training help that or hurt that? I don't think there's a short answer to that. There's not enough time to address all the issues. It's a big question, yes. (laughs) Hera Morano, thank you very much for joining us. Jim, before we start our discussion, uh, we've had more listener feedback to our sleep show with Jeff Coyan, who was talking about some of the ways you can get a better night's sleep. And Lucy, who lives in England, told us that the best sleep she had this year was at a friend's cottage where they had no electricity. So no devices, no electricity. That's a good way to get a good night's sleep. There you go. And, you know, after that show, I actually went out and bought a new mattress. Good. Jim, I'm a pendulum guy. Uh, You talk about yourself as being a squishy libertarian. I'm a centrist. And I think that part of the problem here is that the pendulum has swung too far the other way. And I feel that Hara maybe overstated the problem because I do think that mental counselors, it's in their own interests to say things are getting worse all the time. Well, I haven't done a deep dive into the the numbers, but here's what I think is important in her insights. I'm less interested in whether the rates are going up. I'm interested in how we respond to them. And there's been sort of a psychologicalization. I mean, that's a stupid word, but there's been a tendency in our culture to look at all kinds of issues through a psychological lens and encouraging people to see themselves not as strong human beings with agency in their lives, but as some kind of victim or some kind of almost like a patient. All sorts of people see themselves as having PTSD, not people who came back from Iraq or survived some horrible childhood abuse, but people who've just been through the normal stresses of life. Where did all this trigger warning stuff come from? There's been a great deal of media coverage over diversity protests on campus and uh, the, the closing of the American mind, which is, a, which is an old phrase. Alan Bloom. Yeah, yeah. from the 1980s, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and so this is not a new problem. Uh, in the Wall Street Journal recently, a quote from Benno Schmidt, who was the uh, president of Yale University, in 1991 he wrote, on many campuses, perhaps most, There is little resistance to growing pressure to suppress and to punish rather than to answer speech that offends notions of civility and community. So he was writing about this problem a a long time ago. Oh, it has deep roots. I mean, people should really go back and and read The Closing of the American Mind because it's a fascinating look at a a shift in our culture. But just because this has been going on for a long time doesn't mean, you know, it it was ever thus and we shouldn't worry about it. This is a trend in our culture going back probably, you know, to the mid-20th century that is now having real powerful impact on how people see themselves, how they define themselves. You know, in the, in that great Atlantic monthly cover story, we, we interviewed Greg Lukianoff, one of the co-editors. They talked about vindictive protectiveness, this idea that we go around looking for, for victims, maybe ourselves, maybe other people, and then shaming the people we think are somehow hurting those victims and getting a great deal of social status and really, you have to be honest, enjoyment and fun, shaming those bad... Look at any day on Facebook, people are having a blast shaming the people that they think are horrible on any given day. 
But it's not just a problem on college campuses. It's not just a problem in social media. It's not just a problem for young people. Many of our political leaders are also very intolerant in the way that they speak. There's been a, a huge fuss, and rightly, over things Donald Trump has said. But John Kerry, speaking uh, at a UN Foundation meeting in Paris recently during the, the, during the climate summit, saying that the refusal to recognize the threat of climate change is insane. Yeah. That's not helpful language. And that certainly doesn't win over people in the middle. And I, you, actually, you, you've seen this a lot in the climate change uh, debate. Even people who are just moderately, you know, have moderate questions about the degree of the remediation and necessary aside. Are, are treated as some kind of, uh, you know, outlaws. But let me circle back to her points about what's going on in colleges and why it's so important is that this is a trend in our society. It, it reflects how kids are being raised, but college dramatically intensifies it. And then they get out especially from these elite schools, and they're going on to lead some of our elite institutions. Imagine the, the long-term impact if the Justice Department, the Department of Education, um, you know, other institutions in our society are staffed by people who think that ideas you don't like should be banished and banned and prosecuted. Yeah, the thing that troubles me the most is the absence of goodwill. Our show is about solutions, though, and, and where I really do agree with Harry Morano is on her solutions, what right. parents can do, yeah. what colleges can do. Yeah, and it's in a way it sounds so simple. You know, let your kids play, let them fail, back off. And it's been a theme. We've done so many shows now, you know, going back where, to where Lenore. Where that's emerged. Going back to our, 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 our great interview with Lenore Skenazy, uh, where learning to back off and let kids fail is, is really the key to so much of this. It's really hard hard for modern parents to do this and be more playful speaking of which we gotta get out of here have a drink have some lunch i'm richard davies and i'm jim meggs and this is how do we fix it produced by miranda schaefer social media support from megan christensen and also we're right here at the mona lisa studios in beautiful uptown manhattan and our audio engineer is Denise Barbarita. And the music is by Lou Stravinsky. Our show is produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening.